You are now listening to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast with Dr. Taylor Crick. Dr. Taylor is an expert in helping those suffering with autoimmune disease, and he himself has autoimmune disease. Autoimmunity is rampant today. The purpose of this podcast is to educate about the underlying causes and natural solutions to halt autoimmune disease progression. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. For more information from Dr. Taylor, visit www.autoimmuneeducationacademy.com. Without further ado, here's your host, Dr. Taylor Crick. Welcome to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Taylor Crick. I love explaining the mechanisms of, behind autoimmunity and chronic disease. For more information, visit our website at www.autoimmuneeducationacademy.com for articles, recipes, um, etc., lab testing, supplements, things that we talk about on the show. I also have an extensive YouTube channel uh, in, under my clinic's name, Washington Wellness Center or Wash Wellness Center. Uh, find me on Instagram at autoimmune doc and more. And lastly, please leave us a rating and a review. I talk about it in every episode, but that is the way for people to find this episode. This episode is about Hashimoto's today, which is the most prevalent autoimmune disease. It's something that you definitely know somebody that has it. So sending it to them could be a huge favor to them, or leaving a rating and a review will help somebody like your friend or like yourself or like somebody you know stumble upon this podcast. We've had people continuing to find this podcast. You know, it's fairly new, but we've had people continue to find the podcast through various different means, and your ratings and your reviews really, really help make that happen. As I mentioned, today's episode is about... Hashimoto. So it's everything besides the thyroid. We will talk about the thyroid a little bit, but again, Hashimoto's is is very complicated and complex. So I'm going to talk about all the other things because sometimes somebody's thyroid levels could actually look really good, but they still have myriad other symptoms. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, and yeah, so let's just, you know, jump right in. So last week, you know, I actually missed last week. I usually record the podcast. I like to do them on Wednesday nights, but last week was my grandfather's 94th birthday. So for the first time since I started the podcast, I had a week where I did not uh, release an episode. So I apologize for that. But again, I think that my grandpa's birthday was, was worth it. Um, and actually tomorrow... I'm celebrating my other grandpa's birthday. So that's that's amazing. You know, I'm 36 years old and to have both of my grandfathers still around is is really a part of my big why of why I like to, you know, live my life the way that I do, why I like to teach the things the way that I do cuz I want to be that same way when I'm that age. But that's why I wasn't around uh last week. Today's episode again is about Hashimoto's Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Hashimoto's disease. And again, it's really common, but it affects so much more than the thyroid. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease. It's the most common cause of hypothyroidism in North America. It's estimated that over 90% of hypothyroidism is actually Hashimoto's, but many people with hypothyroidism don't know whether they have Hashimoto's or not. So if I see somebody come into my practice and let's say they're in their 60s, 
and they take thyroid medication. And I say a, a lot of times that person will not have any idea if it's Hashimoto's because this has become more popularized in the last 20 years. And that person might have been on thyroid replacement hormone for, for 20 years or for longer than that. And it's not as common. If I see somebody that's 32 and on thyroid medication, they're more likely to at least know. They're more likely to have asked their doctor to run the test. They're more likely to have you know, come across the fact that that's a possibility. But it's very, very, very common. It's the most common autoimmune disease, and it's the most common cause of hypothyroidism. It is 10 to 20 times more common in women than it is in men. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect men because I have Hashimoto's and my dad has Hashimoto's. Now, this is a, a good example with how it affects everything else because my dad, we were just running standard labs on my dad and we found that he had Hashimoto's, hyperferritinemia, and he was actually low thyroid. And so we we ended up, you know, long story short, we put him on a supplement protocol and we brought his thyroid numbers back up. But now we track that pretty carefully and and I tell him, "Hey, if this if your thyroid starts tanking, there may be a time and a place where you're going to need thyroid replacement hormone." But again, a lot of people, let's say they take thyroid replacement hormone, we get their thyroid numbers back up where we want them to be, but they still have all these other symptoms. And that's the point of this podcast is that that is very, very, very common. And hence the name of Dr. Karazian's book that said, why do I still have thyroid symptoms when all my labs look normal? That is very, very common. So my dad, you know, we diagnosed him, put him on a protocol, et cetera. And now his numbers are okay. For me, I have Hashimoto's, but my thyroid numbers are normal. So I don't have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, meaning that it's been diagnosed that I have it, but I don't have hypothyroidism yet. So my focus personally is not on my thyroid labs. How can I raise my my T3? How can I lower my TSH, et cetera? My focus for myself personally is on all the other things that we always talk about, on my gut health, on my stress management, on my blood sugar, on my detoxification and the toxins that I'm exposed to, on my TH1 to TH2 immune balance, the drivers of autoimmunity. So no matter what the name is, you have to focus on the drivers and all the other complicating factors. So again, it's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis when it's diagnosed, and it's it's fairly easy to detect or Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroid disease or Hashimoto's hypothyroidism if, in fact, the person has hypothyroidism. But if they don't, that's an improper name to put on it. But it's pretty easy to detect. And there are two antibodies that we can measure for this. One's called a TPO antibody or thyroid peroxidase. And this is an enzyme and it's expressed mainly in the thyroid. But what these enzymes do is they help build thyroid hormone. So TPO frees up iodine for its addition onto like for its combination with tyrosine to produce thyroid hormone. So if you have autoimmunity against TPO, it's going to affect the way that your body builds thyroid hormones. And that's one of the diagnostic markers. Either one of these markers 
TPO and TG, they're called. Either one of them, if you have either one of them, it's diagnostic for Hashi's, or you could have one or the other. TPO is much more common. TG is a little bit less common, thyroglobulin. But these are the two ways that it's diagnosed. So TPO, again, it can cross-react with gluten, H. pylori. It's found in Hashimoto's. It's also found in things like vitiligo and some other uh, Graves' disease. But in TG, is also found with Graves' as well. Um, but TG is just a little bit different, but the, the same role. And the point is, is that when there's autoimmunity against these things, it causes gradual destruction of the follicles in the thyroid gland and decreased assimilation of thyroid hormones into the cells. So it eventually picks away at the thyroid until you eventually become hypothyroid. Thyroid. But that is why it's easy to detect and easy to diagnose and why I have a lot of patients with Hashimoto's and why I have a lot of people that we know have Hashimoto's because it's pretty easy to find. But it has been said that if Dr. Hashimoto had discovered this in the cerebellum, it would be called Hashimoto's cerebellar disease. So again, I'm going to go through in just a minute here some of the things to look for with everything else with Hashimoto's. The most common symptoms, though, are fatigue, brain fog, constipation, dry skin, hair loss, especially the outer third of the eyebrows, or a lot of women will say, gosh, I'm, I've always lost a little hair, but now it's coming out in clumps, uh, weak nails, um, anxiety, depression, inability to lose weight. Things like that are the most common symptoms. But again, it's fairly easy to diagnose, and then it's fairly easy to get someone's thyroid hormone leveled out. You know, if they're low on T4, then you give them T4, and then you retest. And that's the typical medical standard of care. And a lot of you listening to this, you have maybe have been through that, and it is pretty easy to get those hormone levels stabilized into the ideal range, but then a lot of these people still have symptoms. So again, uh, the, going back to Dr. Karazian's book, why do I still have thyroid symptoms when my labs look normal? Because of all these other things. So with autoimmunity, if you've never listened to this podcast, go back and listen to the past episodes so you can hear about all the other things that are involved, all the other drivers of autoimmunity. But today I'm going to talk about a clinic, clinical checklist that I use. And, and the point is that when I read through this, the point is that I hope that you take away from this is like, wow, this is pretty complicated. Even though it's really easy to detect Hashimoto's, and even though it's really easy to get thyroid hormones leveled out, that doesn't make Hashimoto's easy. Hashimoto's is a very, very complex puzzle. And we're going to go through all these different webs. And this is, a, again, a clinical checklist that was made by my mentor, Dr. Karazian, who wrote the book that I mentioned. But I've also done uh, you know, days and days and days of continuing education on the thyroid alone with Dr. Karazian. You know, I've done a ton of his courses um, in days, weeks worth. But I've done his Mastering the Thyroid course, which is three days long, all about the thyroid, not just Hashimoto's, but everything there is to know about the thyroid. And then I've also done the Karazian Institute course on Hashimoto's, which is where I acquired this, this clinical checklist. So that's just a little bit of background on the thyroid, on Hashimoto's, 
and and now we're going to get into this checklist. So I'm just going to read it to you, and I'm going to discuss each one very briefly. And again, the point is that it is much more complicated than just looking at TSH, T3, T4, reverse T3. I talked about those in the last podcast. It is important that your thyroid levels be optimal. But again, with Hashimoto's, there's so many other things, and it takes an integrated functional medicine approach. Everybody with Hashimoto's does not need the same supplement protocol. Everybody with Hashimoto's does not need the same diet. It's not all gluten. It's not all mold. It's not all lime. It's not all BPA. It's not all stress. Each Hashimoto's puzzle is unique and different. So again, I'm just going to read this Hashimoto's checklist and talk about each of these things. So the first thing is there are five initial considerations with Hashimoto's. One, is the patient's thyroid autoimmune reactivity stable? Meaning, is it getting worse? Has it gotten worse in the last month? Has it gotten worse in the last three months? Has it gotten worse in the last year? And those are things that are based on labs, but also based on symptoms. You know, are you progressing? Or do you continue to get worse? How aggressive is the autoimmune thyroid response? That's number two. And that, again, is based on symptoms, but also based on labs, antibodies, and based on kind of, we can kind of tell how that attack is going or if it's aggressive. And sometimes the antibodies don't tell everything, but sometimes their T cell attack may be very, very rapid. And we can see rapid destruction and rapid progression from a symptomatic standpoint, whereas other times the progression could be low and slow, and it might take 10 years or longer for you know the, the damage to really occur. There's a lot of variables to that. Number three, does the patient have cerebellum cross-reactivity? That's very, very important because it's very, very common. In fact, there's something called the Hashimoto's triad, which is, and it's not even cerebellar reactivity, but it's pernicious anemia, celiac disease, and Hashimoto's. And throw cerebellum in there, those four autoimmunities are very, very common together. So uh, celiac, meaning gluten-mediated attack on the gut. Uh, Pernicious anemia, meaning inability to absorb B12. So you're starting to get what's called a megaloblastic uh, anemia. Um, And that's very common. And then Hashimoto's and then the cerebellum. The cerebellum can cause balance issues. Cerebellum can cause anxiety issues. Cerebellum can cause issues uh, gating your senses um, and different things there. So you have to rule that out. The next one you have to rule out, number four here, does the patient have autoimmune reactivity in any other tissues? Meaning that when you have autoimmune disease, One of the things that you want to know is, do I have it anywhere else? Do I have it in my brain? Do I have it in my gut? Do I have it in my joints? Do I have it in my stomach? And and so on and so forth. I've talked on this podcast before that sometimes somebody will come into me with rheumatoid arthritis and they leave with Hashimoto's or somebody comes in with celiac and they leave with Hashimoto's because we'll detect where else they have autoimmune reactivity in other tissues. So you want to rule that out too, because again, your joint pain that you have with Hashimoto's might be autoimmune joint reactivity. It might not have anything to do with the actual Hashimoto's, but they're very, very commonly correlated, if that makes sense. And then number five, are there any medication interactions with the thyroid gland, meaning 
Are there any fillers? Are there any additives? Are there any other things that may even be in their thyroid medication that's causing them to have a bad reaction? I've seen people get off their thyroid meds. First off, I've seen people get off their thyroid meds and their thyroids tank. And it's like, okay, that didn't work. You got to stay on this for the rest of your life. I've also seen people get off their thyroid meds and their numbers stay completely stable. And sometimes their symptoms go away. And, and it was fillers or additives that were in their medications that they were having problems with. So those are five initial considerations. Is it getting worse? Is it stable? How aggressive is it? Is it attacking anywhere else? Or are there medication interactions? These are kind of big picture you know, questions to ask. The next ones that we're getting into are the different webs. And there's a few different webs. There's a Hashimoto's immune web. There's a Hashimoto's brain web. Really important. How does Hashimoto's affect the brain? There's a Hashimoto's gut web, a GI web. There's a Hashimoto's blood sugar web. And there's a Hashimoto's liver and, and gallbladder web. And then there's Hashimoto's female hormone uh female endocrine web. So I'm just going to read again, not all of them, but some of the questions on this checklist that again, if you're working with a practitioner and you have Hashimoto's or you're trying to go through your own Hashimoto's journey, you need to be asking yourself these type of questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with, again, your TSH or your TPO or your TG. And I also don't think that monitoring antibodies is even a good idea uh, with regards to some of these other things. We'll talk about that a little bit next episode too. But So the Hashimoto's immune web, here's some questions on there. Are there any patterns of aggressive thyroiditis? I mean, is there any pattern of thyroid swelling? You know, I just had somebody do a really, 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 really intense workout on Memorial Day. They did Murph and they did it unpartitioned. And they said afterward, they felt like their thyroid was swelling. And sometimes people feel this. They have trouble swallowing. They have trouble swallowing pills. Or they'll just have kind of a hoarse voice or a lump in their throat. And there's the actual thyroid inflammation that can come from, you know, just a surge of cytokines. That can come from an infection. That can be a superlative thing. There's a lot of different things, but you have to rule that out. Do you have any thyroid swelling? Are there any patterns of active infections? That's going to be based on symptoms and based on labs. Are there white blood cells low? Are there neutrophils elevated? Different things that a clinician should be trained on. But is there any chance that this person has an active infection, has H. pylori, has Lyme disease, has, you know, staph, strep, uh, Epstein-Barr, etc.? Are there any patterns of immune suppression? Does the person get sick easily? Do they have a lot of uh, TH1 or TH2 symptoms? You know, I use a TH1, TH2 symptom questionnaire very often to tell me if somebody's low on their TH1 side or high on their TH2 side. That's a different thing. But are there patterns of immune suppression? Are there findings of impaired antioxidant status? So again, based on symptoms, you know, inability to recover from exercise, things like that, or, or um, you know, lab-wise as well. Are there any patterns of immune barrier breakdown? Meaning, are there any patterns of leaky gut or leaky lung or leaky brain? Are there history, is there a history of TBIs? Are there signs that there's leaky gut? Are there increasing food reactivities? Things like that. Are there patterns of any autoimmunity in any other tissues? Is there joint pain? Is there 
you know, signs of demyelination? Are there uh, patterns of cerebellar uh, reactivity? Are there are they anemic? So maybe signs of stomach autoimmunity, things like that. Um, are there clinical findings of immune compromised by chemicals? Or are there findings of impaired immune tolerance, which means that their body's begun to be reactive against more foods, more chemicals, more allergens, things like that, kind of correlated with the Th1, Th2 immune thing. But those are some questions that we have to ask for the immune system. Now, with any autoimmunity, obviously, you got to look at the immune system. What's, what's happening? What's, what's high? What's low? Where are the white blood cells at? Where's the neutrophils? Where's the lymphocytes? Where's the eosinophils? Where are the TNB lymphocytes? Where's the natural killer cells? Where's the inflammation? Blah, blah, blah. Of course, we have to look at the immune system. Now, here's the next web the Hashimoto's brain web. Are there any clinical findings of cerebellum degeneration? Is the person tripping over their feet? Is the person losing their balance? Does the person have a hard time doing a neurologic exam like a finger-to-nose-to-finger or a finger-to-nose test or a finger-to-finger or a Romberg's test or, you know, things like that for cerebellum degeneration? Are there any clinical findings of autoimmune demyelination of the central nervous system? Now, clinically, what that can present as is, again, neuro findings or decreased uh, reflexes or decreased nerve conduction velocity or different things like that. Or for me, sometimes somebody comes into me with MS, they know they have demyelination. So we know that they have issues with their nervous system. But how does that correlate with Hashimoto's? We have to rule that out if somebody has only come in with Hashimoto's, or we could put a question mark by these things. But if we think that it's a red flag or a possibility, then we have to look further into it. Are there clinical findings of any other, uh, I already said demyelination. Are there any clinical findings of nerve entrapments from tissue swelling? Are there clinical findings of neurovascular entrapments from tissue swelling? Are they getting oxygen out to their extremities? Are they getting nerve flow out to their extremities? Do they have any pins and needles? Do they have any neuropathies? Are there clinical findings of neuroinflammation or microglia priming? Do they get any brain fog? Do they have any memory loss? Have they had any TBIs? Have they had any cause for concern with, do they have neuroinflammation? Do they get any panic or anxiety or depression or these inflammatory symptoms in the brain? Are there clinical findings of blood-brain barrier permeability? That one's you know, mostly through labs. Are there clinical findings of impaired plasticity? Are there clinical findings of disrupted synaptic activity? All of these are just you know kind of general neuro questions to ask. But the point is, is the brain being affected? Is the myelin being affected? Are the microglia being affected? Because that's not uncommon in Hashimoto's or in autoimmunity. That You can have neurological autoimmunity against myelin or against synapsin or against you know, dopamine receptors or against azelogangliocide or anything like that. It would not be uncommon because once you have one autoimmunity, you're likely to have others. So you've got to look at the Hashimoto's brain web and see how the brain's functioning. The other thing for the brain that I want to throw in there really quick is, you know, the pituitary and the limbic system and the areas that just control a lot of hormone function, they're very sensitive 
to things like toxins. Uh, toxins will affect the pituitary. They'll affect the limbic system. They'll affect mast cells in the brain. They'll turn on microglia cells. So again, looking for things like that of like what turned on this neuroinflammation. The next web is called the gut web, the Hashimoto's GI web. So first off, are there any clinical findings of impaired intestinal motility? That is really, really common because again, as thyroid hormone slows down, everything slows down. So your brain moves a little bit slower, your bowels move a little bit slower, everything slows down with decreased thyroid hormone. You gain a little bit more weight, you're just, you're, everything slows down. And I mean that literally, on a cellular level, everything slows down. So again, how many bowel movements do you have a week? Are there any clinical findings of impaired motility? Are there any clinical findings of intestinal permeability? Do, do the people have, have food reactions? Do they notice that gluten has an impact? Do they notice that dairy gives them brain fog? Do they notice that every time that they eat sugar, their joints hurt? Or on labs, do we have any signs of intestinal permeability? That would be Cyrex Array 4, no, 2, 2, Array 2, 2, 3X4, yeah, to Array 2, um, for intestinal permeability, you know, but have we been able to detect that? Or if they've had another test, you know, somebody brought me a test today, there's a Dunwoody Labs, and they had Zonulin on there, and they had, you know, LPS, and uh, again, that's a clinical finding of leaky gut, a clinical finding of intestinal permeability. Are there any clinical findings of malabsorption syndromes? Do there, are there any signs you know, based on their, their outward appearance or their nail beds or their uh, labs, that they're not absorbing things? Are they having malabsorption, not absorbing iron, not absorbing B12, not absorbing certain vitamins? Are there clinical findings of gallbladder dysfunction? Do they have trouble with fatty foods? Do they have um, any right upper quadrant pain? Are there clinical findings of digestive enzyme impairment? Are there clinical findings of dysbiosis? Are there clinical findings of reduced microbiome diversity? And are there clinical signs, are there signs of intestinal autoimmunity or are there signs of SIBO? Meaning the point is, is that you do a, a GI walkthrough with these people just like you do with everybody else. You have to make sure that every single part of their digestive process is working from north to south. Do they have good stomach acid production? Do they have good bile? Do they have good enzymes? Is, is their migrating motor complex working properly? Do we have any signs of dysbiosis? Have we evaluated that on labs or do we need to? But you've got to look at the Hashimoto's GI web as well and check off all those boxes. Then there's the Hashimoto's blood sugar web. Again, very, very common. Are there any clinical findings of hypoglycemia? So, you know, a lot of my questions on my questionnaire, do you get lightheaded between meals? Do you get hangry between meals? Do you get irritable? Does eating give you energy? Does eating give, give you fatigue? That's the next question. Are there clinical findings of insulin resistance? Is the person overweight? Do they have metabolic syndrome? What's their, what's their cholesterol? What's their... Um, you know, inflammation, inflammatory markers, and just how metabolically healthy are they? I think that the hypoglycemia is really, really, really common with autoimmune disease and with Hashimoto's, more so than insulin resistance. But if the general population of hypothyroid people generally have a lot of insulin resistance. So in my practice, I tend to see 
I would say, people that are more savvy than the general population. So they tend to have more low blood sugar. They tend to be pretty aware not to eat pizza, Skittles, beers, ice cream all day. And they tend to be, uh, even if they still have weight issues, they tend to have more hypoglycemic moments than hyper. Are there any clinical findings of mixed patterns of both of these? That's that's very common. If somebody has PCOS, um, et cetera. Are there patterns of dysglycemia induced by lifestyle, diet, or other factors? That's really important as well. The point is, is that you get a Hashimoto's patient, you got to look through their their gut. Whether it's a Hashimoto's or MS or RA or lupus, you got to go through those gut questions north to south, and you got to go through these blood sugar questions, and you've got to do those uh, again. Whether somebody has a, an autoimmune disease or not, that's just important for every single person on the face of the earth. Uh, are there patterns of pancreatic autoimmunity, adrenal autoimmunity, um, or anything else with the blood sugar web? Then the liver. The liver and gallbladder, are there signs of chemical burden? Are there elevations of liver enzymes? Are there elevations of cholesterol? Are there elevations of bilirubin? Are there clinical findings of impaired biotransformation? Those are people that are exposed to chemicals like fragrances and things like that, and it gives them a headache or it gives them anxiety. Are there clinical findings of chemical-induced inflammation? Are these people detoxifying well, or how are their liver and gallbladders functioning? Then the last web is the Hashimoto's female endocrine web. Are there flare-ups associated with the menstrual cycle? Are there patterns that have changed after taking oral contraceptives? Has the, has the Hashimoto's flared post-pregnancy? That's a very, very common. Are there any patterns of bad cycle control? Are there any patterns of perimenopause that have flared this? And again, we're looking for, with these drivers, what's driving this Hashimoto? So it's not only is it common to have liver and gallbladder issues. It's also very common to have hormonal issues. It's very common to have blood sugar issues. And I don't know which one came first, the chicken or the egg. If the Hashimoto's causes these symptoms, or these symptoms are common because they commonly drive Hashimoto's, but you've got to go through and look at everything but the thyroid. You know, you've got to look at the thyroid too, but all of these other things, you've got to look at the gut, you've got to look at hormones, you've got to look at blood sugar, you've got to look at the brain, you've got to look at stress too, we didn't even talk about that. But again, all of these other drivers are very, very, very relevant. So, you know, I started speeding up at the end because I like to keep the podcast under 30 minutes. But the point of this, again, from the beginning, wasn't that you're going to memorize every single one of these things. And I'm not providing this checklist for anybody. But the point is that it's very, very complicated. And the thyroid, somebody says, oh, you have a thyroid disease. Tell me about your thyroid. Well, gosh, you're thin. Like, how do you have a thyroid disease? I thought thyroid people were fat and blah, blah, blah. But there's so many more things that are involved with Hashimoto's. It's very, very common. It's very, very relevant. It's important to get it lab tested. It's important that you look through all of these things. And then it's a lifelong thing to manage. You don't just get your T4 into the optimal range and your TSH into the optimal range, and then all of a sudden, all your symptoms are gone. Otherwise, Dr. Krasin would have never written his book that, again, it has a long title. And at first, it's like, this is kind of a dumb title, but it's genius 
because it speaks to everybody that's in this boat. Why do I still have thyroid symptoms when all my labs look normal? Because there's so much more involved in the autoimmune puzzle. So I hope this is helpful. Again, rating and review. You might need to go back and listen to this one again. But, you know, work with a practitioner too and just ask yourself if you already are. Gosh, are they looking at these things? You know, have they looked at my gut? Have they looked at my blood sugar? Have they looked at my liver and gallbladder? Have they looked at my toxic burden? Have they looked at my stress? Have they looked at my brain? And they don't have to look at all of those very deeply, but they all need to be taken into consideration. So if you just went in and they put you just on a protocol, like an adrenal protocol or a a leaky gut protocol or a, a detox protocol, just because uh, you might want to reconsider and look into all of these other factors and prioritize which ones are the most important for you. But they're all good things, but are they the right thing for you? And it's really about you know looking at all these aspects. So next episode, we're going to talk about thyroid antibodies, which is going to be interesting um, in the high levels and do they matter or not. Um, so especially if you have Hashimoto's, just, you know, the meaning of the antibodies and what they do and what they mean. So going to be cool. So again, rating and review, rating and review, rating and review and subscribe and like and follow and all those things that people do. And yeah, tune in next time. See you guys.